0: My guest this week is Karen Campbell, who is an award-winning writer and who has now published seven novels, most recently The Sound of the Hours, which came out in July 2019. Having studied English at the University of Glasgow, Karen's writing career took a while to come to the fore. That came after nearly six years as a police officer with Strathclyde Police, followed by a role as a media officer with Glasgow City Council. It was during this time that she was accepted onto Glasgow University's prestigious creative writing master's course and thus began an impressive career as a writer. This has, to date, involved four novels set in the world of the police. The Twilight Time, After the Fire, *Shadow Play*, and Proof of Life. Those books were followed by This Is Where I Am, which tells the story of a Somali asylum seeker who has arrived in Glasgow with his daughter. Rise, a novel about trying to escape the past and forging a new future, set in the Highlands and then, most recently, The Sound of the Hours. This latest novel was set mainly in the Italian town of Barga during the Second World War, and amidst much acclaim from readers and reviewers alike One reviewer said that If you can imagine Captain Carelli's Mandolin meets Catch-22 You'll have some idea as to what the sound of the hours Is like and it's also a timely reminder That any discussion about the best contemporary Scottish novelists should include Can Campbell and also went on to say That Can uh, is fast becoming a writer Of real range and emotional power Can, thanks for joining us on the Read All About It Podcast. First of all I wanted to, to Ask is that an accurate Are you happy with that comparison as a cross between Captain Corelli's mandolin and and Catch 22?
1: I was actually blown away when I I read that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes these comparisons are always like the worst of both worlds, but in in that, it really got what I was trying to do because The Sound of the Hours, um, you know, if you look at the cover of it and the the sort of way it's been pitched, it's coming across as a romance, but it's much more of a war story to me in the way that I think Captain Corelli was actually you know there's an awful lot in that too about the the history and the lead up and the politics of of how countries get divided so that was something i was really keen to do with the sound of theirs as well just look at italy during world war ii and in particular barga because um you know it builds itself as the most scottish town in italy as you come into it it's got a barga celtic supporters club it has an annual scottish week it has a fish and chip festival albeit they call it a uh, Patati pesci, so it sounds more exotic, but it's fish and chips. And I just wanted to explore a place that's already got almost a mixed identity. How how which side you go on in war when when nothing's black and white, and you might have family back in Scotland and family fighting for Mussolini and maybe family fighting for the Allies. Yeah, so so that sort of summation of of it being I mean Catch Twenty Two is all about the madness of war, isn't it? So you know I was really chuffed with that.
0: And and I always wonder if you know when you. You obviously put your heart and soul into to the novel and you know when it comes out, is it is it excitement or is it nervousness? Because until people start to read it, they start to review it, you're not you're not you're so attached that you're not sure what the general public are, are going to think about it. So you must be delighted with the response to it it's
1: always nerve-wracking when a book comes out it, it, I think it gets worse actually with every book it always feels like you're blowing this wee fuse you know trying to blow something into to life and once it, it kind of leaves your hands it, it, it's out of your hands there's, there's not much you can do um, other than you know go to as many festivals as you can and be up for interviews and things but but in terms of how people receive it and read it that's completely down to other folk and that can be tough but also I think the editing process helps you to start to detach from the book because you know the, the first novel I got published when the publishers accepted it you kind of think that's great it'll come out next week and, and you don't appreciate that when they say we just have a few notes that actually means screeds and screeds <laughs> of a red pen all over your baby's face is what it feels like and I found that really tough somebody sort of challenging what I'd written but you know, it's really necessary and I realise that now. And and the process of toing and froing and, and moving away from this kind of creative rush of the thing you've made into seeing it as a product that you have to refine and hone, that I think allows you to not be so heart and mouth about how it's received because you're probably working on the next book by the time that book comes out. But equally, the whole joy to me of, of writing for Publication for people to read is the thing doesn't come alive till someone else reads it. You know, you're not just sitting in your room writing a diary, you're writing something that's going out into the world and photo receive it in different ways. I've had reviews sometimes and comments about things I hadn't even thought I'd written. Initially, you might think, Oh, I've got this wrong, they haven't got what the book's about. But how do we enjoy books that we read? It's when there's a space for you to put something of yourself in the book and get something out of it that's personal to you. So It's a joy actually when that happens and and folk comment on your book and say things about your book that you maybe hadn't anticipated when you wrote it but you're like, okay, I'll take that, thank you.
0: Obviously, you you know, very much a writer but as all writers, books play such a big part in what you do and so um, I was obviously keen to to get you on this Read All About It podcast and it's always interesting when you, you hear people's choices and the first question obviously for everyone is going back and and choosing your your favourite book from childhood and I'm guessing from the way you replied to me that that was quite that first question was even a difficult one for you
1: it was um I think the first my first experience of the magic of books was my mum came home from work one day and I must have been maybe five or six and she had a big box of books that somebody at her work had brought in because her daughter had outgrown them and my mum said oh I'll take them eh, for Karen and you know literally diving into this box and up until that point I'd probably been reading the Twinkle comic and you know maybe some other quite baby books but this was full of Enid Blyton books and I think maybe some What Katie Did and stuff for probably older readers so there was no one book in there it was just this almost greed that you know you could world upon world was there just open pages and you could plunge into something new and so I was hooked from that point point. Um, but I think the favourite book I can remember from childhood there's a couple there was a child's garden of verses that my grandma got me, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson, and it was illustrated. There was beautiful illustrations in it, really magical, you know, fairy-like, th- that you can see faces in the fire-type drawings. So that transfixed me. And another novel that was called um, Smoky House by a writer called Elizabeth Goodge. And I've never read anything else of hers. And I don't know why I loved it so much. It was just about Cornish smugglers and about animals that could talk and um, pixies that lived under the ground. And um, So it was like an adventure story and fantasy and magic all rolled up in one way predates harry potter and again it was just this idea that you can do anything with words you can go anywhere and flit in and out and there's no rules and there's no boundaries and i think as a writer as an adult it's really important you you retain that idea that you probably had as a child reading that the world is your oyster in writing that you shouldn't be restricted just just see where it goes and see what happens you can always tidy things up afterwards yeah
0: i mean what age were you when you you read that book?
1: I could read before i went to school basic stuff like reading comics and things so i probably would have been seven maybe seven or eight when i read that book
0: because when, when you would when email me and you mentioned the robert louis stevenson yeah a child's garden of verses i was so pleased because obviously we we're just sitting here doing the podcast when you hear the finished version there's music at the start and finish which i've written with a couple of friends basically what we've done we've been in a wee kind of group called the bookends and what we do is we take robert Louis louis stevenson poems and put them to music oh
1: fantastic and it goes back to
0: when one of my one of my daughters was in primary school and it was uh, where go the boats which is in that book mm-hmm. and she was given the poem home from school to maybe learn it and mm-hmm. there's one way we did to learn it i just put some basic music to it and that's how we, we learned and so we have gone on and yes. i've kind of written some other oh. songs so i was absolutely delighted with <laughs> and i mean it says, i mean, just, I mean I'm, I'm rubbish at lyrics but robert stevenson is, stevenson is considerably better than and they are like lyrics as Absolutely. well. Absolutely.
1: And, and even now when I'm on a train, you know that one, faster than fairies, faster than witches, over the hedges, over the ditches, the, the, the rhythm of the train. I still hear that in my head. There's a, a musicalness, musicality, about... Yeah, still I like song with that one, but... Yeah, well, <laughs> it kind of does its own song, I suppose. But yeah, I, I think, you know, and my grandma, when I think about it, she, she got me, like, the collected works of Shakespeare when I passed my O grades, which probably most teenage girls wouldn't appreciate and I don't know if I did at the time because I thought I've just studied my I don't need the whole set but it was like she was laying down the foundations maybe for the, the future in terms of these are things you should have on your, your bookshelf yeah. even just to go back to and refer
0: i mean, obviously taking you forward now from that kind of childhood and that first the magic of discovering books and, and the second question was always I've kind of framed it as, as teenage, student, kind of formative years when you're starting to formulate your own opinions and views and, and fall in love with more kind of adult books and the book that you've chosen is, I suppose, a, what would be considered a classic of Scottish literature?
1: Sunset Song by Lewis Grassic Gibbon and, and I guess it's possible that a lot of people of, of my generation would choose that one because it's, you know, you did it for hires um, so it's something that, that at that age you're closely studying but it's a book that I think... I wouldn't have read if I hadn't been made to read it, probably, because the beginning of it is quite difficult. There's a kind of folk voice that's like a, a Greek chorus, almost the way it talks about the, the, the people of the Mayans and the kind of history. But I, I never really give up on a book anyway. If I, if I start one, I tend to finish it, but I probably wouldn't have picked it up. But I'm so, so glad that I did, because it was a book... It just Again, it was this idea of words and writing being so liberating, not just in terms of the story, which was about a 17-year-old girl, same age as me, or 16, basically being torn between what her parents wanted her to do, what she wanted to do, the love of her roots and the land, the, the the desire to go somewhere else and reinvent yourself, all of those things, although that was set during or just before the First World War, or no, during it, um, you know, it, it was resonant with, with me absolutely at that age, but also the way classic Gibbon uses language, the way he actually, you know, we're talking about poetry and, and Robert Louis Stevenson. He evokes the cadence of the, the lilt of how people speak in the northeast of Scotland by the language that he uses. He slips into second person sometimes, so we're as close into Chris's head, the, the girl who's the, the main character, as we can be when it's the you voice, you know, and, and I use that occasionally now, and I'm sure that's influenced from there, just because I think when you're writing, it, always my goal is to get as deep into the character and their psyche as you can, and that... Second person seems to do it You you can't sustain it over a long period But Grasset Gibbon just showed me It's like fairy dust You just sprinkle bits and pieces of different techniques And also using Scots words as well The fact that that was not just allowed But accepted Um, I actually wrote a a few years ago um, The Edinburgh Book Festival commissioned Various authors to write stories And the theme was elsewhere That was just all you were given was elsewhere That was the topic And I wrote a story about Being 16 and being in South Africa, visiting my grandparents, which is true, when apartheid was still happening. But also, I was there over Christmas and I had my hires coming up, the prelims, so the condition I was allowed to go for an extended holiday was I did my homework when I was in South Africa. So I finished Sunset Song, sitting by the pool at my grandma's house, tears streaming down my face because I felt so homesick. Something's been away from the place. You know, if you're at home in Scotland, you kind of just take it for granted, but being away and seeing a country that appalled me, the way it treated people. I think that cemented the book in my mind a wee bit more. Can I read a wee, just a paragraph of of that story? Because it kind of just sums up what I'm trying to say. So that's why I'm a writer, because you think about things and you write them down and (laughs) then they sound better. You take a sip of water, then slowly open your book. Higher soon, and you've not yet reached the close of Sunset Song. You don't want to. You're loving the journey too much want to keep it incomplete and safe. Later, much later, you will realise this is the first time a book has moved you so completely. The language, the story, the bigger sense of it. The fact it is quite solidly and distinctively Scottish. You didn't know writers could do that. That you were allowed to paint rhythms and cadences with your words as well as stories. And that it wasn't an affectation, it was the truth.
0: See when you read that, does, obviously it take you back to being that girl? But is that kind of whenever you read it again, it's it's almost confirms why you. Wanted to be a writer, and why place and, and where you're from is, is so important as well.
1: I think so. I think definitely that, and I think writing for me allows me to, you know, often we think things in our head and we don't really we don't really know what we're thinking. It's like a big grey mass, isn't it, of squiggly thoughts? And and writing allows you to tease those things out into something that's quite sharp and you're stitching it onto the page. And so it makes you dig into your memories, but also I guess dig into what makes you you. And then that seeps out into your characters and the place as well. It's, it's what's the purpose of this? I don't mean the meaning of life, just I think with writing, ev- everything you do is a choice, so you have to kind of know what you're doing with those words as well, and why you're choosing them, but that makes you think about bigger things too. You can't help but think about where you live, and why it is the way it is, and why people behave the way they do. You know, it's, it's endlessly fascinating.
0: Did you read, and you know, it's obviously, it's, it's often published as part of the, the trilogy of Scotch Queer. If you Going on to read the other two parts? I
1: did, I did, and I was a wee bit disappointed, (laughs) as I think most folk are, because, and that's a good lesson again when you're writing, sometimes less is more like leave leave somebody at a certain point in their life, because Chris later on isn't the Chris of our youth, which of course none of us are, Mm -hmm. but it it makes it so sad and more poignant that, you know, Sunset Song is an elegy already for that that sort of lost way of life and what the First World War did to, to rural communities. And then to see that she becomes granite light and much harder, and and doesn't have such a happy life, yeah, I, I kind of wished I didn't know that. I'd yeah. ma- much rather imagine her future than know it.
0: I suppose it's that, especially when you're, you've got so much invested in one book. There's there's probably an apprehension because can the next, can the sequel live up to the, the expectations of, absolutely. of the
1: absolutely? I know, I know, and and you know. That's true if you're a writer as well. there's There's been, like, the, the book I wrote about the asylum seeker, This Is Where I Am, the way it ends, quite a lot of people have said, are you going to write a sequel? And for exactly the reasons I've just said, I don't want to, because I don't want to know. I can imagine what his story will become next, but I don't want to know. Yeah. I, I, mm. And maybe that goes back to childhood too. I always remember at the end of The Railway Children, you know, the scene where Bobby's found her dad at the, the train station. Sorry, that's a spoiler if somebody hasn't read <laughs> it, but it comes back. And... They're going up to the house where the family are, don't know that their dad's coming back from, from where he's been. And I'm sure the line is something like, and there we must leave them. It's like this sort of author's voice comes in and it's like the camera pulls back. That happens in the film of it as well. Yeah, yeah. At the moment you want to see this reunion that the whole film's been about, the whole novel's been about. The door shuts and we don't see it. But that's why you keep thinking about it, because it's not tied up yeah. in a neat bow.
0: You need, I think you need a certain nerve as a writer to do that because you must know that your audience is desperate for more but you have to have the confidence to go and that's enough.
1: I think it's like walking a tightrope a wee bit and you know you just one wee wobble the wrong way and, and you fall off so yeah because we've all read books haven't we that you get to the end and you think seriously? I've, <laughs> I've spent three days reading yeah. it and that's how you repay me. So that's really always in the back of my mind that I think ending of a book is almost more important than the beginning because it shines back down the whole story and it kind of dictates how you're going to feel about it forever. You've been on this journey but you want the, the the conclusion of the journey to have some degree of resolution, some degree of satisfaction but also a bit of yearning, that you're still kind of hoping that that person you've read about or that world is still carrying on when the pages are shut and trying to balance all of that <clears> that's, a respo- tough. that's
0: a responsibility in your shoulders uh, I as mean, you're az- writing it I yeah, think totally. Yeah, but I suppose that's part of the don't know if it's the joy but that's part of the, the challenge as well isn't it?
1: Yeah and, and again I think it's a, a music type thing, it's a, I mean I'm not musical but I think writing is about pauses and accelerations and ups and downs and the same way that a score might be in music and so judging that final note is the sort of the last resonance that keeps hanging in the air for me um, and yeah that can be you know I, with, with my latest book I wrote two endings I, I just didn't know which would be the right ending. Right. I can't really say too much about right. that, I suppose. But one ending that I might have preferred just wasn't right for the story, and another ending felt right. It just instinctively felt right.
0: Mm, yeah. So I was just wondering then: is that uh, you know, is it going to be the, the director's cut coming out? At point <laughs> <of you? laughs>
1: it could be. Well, that happened with Captain Carelli too, actually. Didn't yeah, it? yeah. And a lot of folk felt cheated when they watched it. I did, as you know. I felt cheated by Nicolas Cage's accent to be fair and I thought you are Italian man Um, but yeah the ending was a Hollywood ending but it wasn't right for that story
0: that's going to intrigue people now that that have read it with one ending thinking what what else was on your mind Uh, we'll just leave them them throw a veil over that You're listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddy, and my guest, the writer, Karen Campbell. Karen, we're on to the third question, the third category, and that's a book that you would recommend to anyone.
1: Okay. How To Be Both by Ali Smith. I actually did recommend it for a book club that I'm in recently, and it evoked quite a few emails at the start. Why have you picked this one? I don't think I can get to the end of this. And then by the end, everyone was like, oh, I'm so glad I read that. So I felt vindicated, Mm -hmm. if you like. I just think it's, again, it's, it's adventurous, it's playful. She's doing so many things with, with words and language and story itself because the, the, the concept of the book is it's two stories it's in two halves. One story is about um, an Italian Renaissance painter who may or may not have actually existed, who was a wee girl that had to become a man, you know, dress as a man, live as a man in order to be a painter because women just didn't paint in those days and did go on to paint some beautiful murals in a palace in Italy. And the other story is about a, a young girl in contemporary times who's suffered a bereavement and is trying to deal with that. So two very disparate stories, you think, but each one kind of echoes the other one slightly. But the, the, the thing I love about this book, as well as just Ali Smith's writing and the way she uses words, is when the book came out, the two stories were randomly assigned. So, so half the books came out with the Renaissance story first, Right. and the modern story second. The other half came out the other way. The modern story first, and the renaissance story second. And when you buy it, you don't know what one you're getting. And so within my book group itself, there was there was a mixture of, of right, who got really what. And I think the whole thing that Ali Smith was trying to do is talk about what comes first in terms of story and history and what underpins what, what, what bleeds from the past to the present and the future and back again. Because whatever way you read that book, Depending on which story comes first, you get a whole different reading experience. The two stories haven't yeah. changed, but your understanding of how one affects the other and and what the themes are.
0: Did you find that when you, the book group came to discuss it, that people who had read one story yes. first had a different, totally perspective totally. it. Totally. Yeah. And
1: and the thing about Ali Smith is, it wasn't gimmicky. You know, sometimes people will experiment and and it feels a bit false and a bit you know, mm-hmm. I'm being existentialist. I'm experimenting. I'm showing off, but. It was an essential part of that book. It was about, you know, the very fact that the relations character is dual. She she can't be female or male. She, you know, she still has emotions inside her and, and she's she's hiding part of who she is, but in order to be what she wants to be. So all of that kind of conflict and tension in the modern story, there's a, a scene where the, the girl is remembering being with her mum at some cafe abroad And our mum's talking about what happened there during the war. And the girl's thinking, but we're sitting in the same place in front of the same wall. And yet, if we'd been here at a different time, we'd probably be dead. You know, it's just a cafe. There's nothing here. But it was such a, a crucial and important place in some people's lives. It's where their lives ended. So it's about stories that places can hold as well. Yeah, it's just an amazing book and not difficult to read. you just got to trust the, the writer to take you by the hand and take you on this journey and I think that's an important thing with books you know sometimes you just write from the start think okay this is a bit tricky but I'm going to stick with it because I'm intrigued or there's just that sense of I know this is going to unfold in a certain way and sometimes you begin a book and it's like plodding through treacle and you just, yeah. you know, you can't be bothered with the gimmickry but, but I never felt that with How To Be Both
0: you know, It's funny when I, I when I saw that the fact that they'd done that that's the way it'd been published because f- at first it seems like a real a market ploy, almost like Ali Smith fans would buy both copies just to have it, Be- because you could see if you were mm. being a bit cynical, because I know people, for example, who would, a, f- a friend is a, a fan of the Beatles, so if a magazine posts four different covers of the same magazine, yeah. you'll buy all four, but...
1: I know, I was thinking that,
0: you know, when you were younger, like vinyl, like, there's a there's a, a red disc
1: and a yellow disc. Exactly, yeah. It's the same music, <laughs> but you get both, don't you?
0: Um, no, it's really interesting, but it's inter- it must have been interesting, again, just to see the reaction Because I suppose when you recommend a book in a book club, there's an element of I don't know if people are judging you for your recommendation but if you, any book that you love if you're saying to people, you want people I don't know if you ever judge people on how they react to a book, I'm sometimes guilty of that if it's a book that I really love but you can't help doing that I think sometimes
1: Yeah, no, that's true Um, but I think the good thing about what I've found with with the book group that I'm in is there's sort of a trust that's developed, we've only been going for a couple of years but because you use the book as a springboard to then talk about other things and, and you talk more about your personal life and so we've actually cemented quite a, a good friendship through the medium of books which right. is, is nice but yeah I mean to me books are like music in that they, they do say something about who you are and, and, and what's made you and I still have books on my shelves from like uni you know from doing English Lit things like The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer which I never got to the end of the first time and I certainly won't get to the end of now but it's still I don't know, it's just formed part of who I am, and I'm, I'm always loath to throw those books out.
0: Yeah, because it's funny when I, when I read that comparison of, of The Sound of the Earls and Catch 22 is one of my favourite books because I remember I studied it for higher English, mm-hmm. and it had such an impact on me that I took the copy, I stole the copy from school, <laughs> which i still got all these years for later. All the polis. <laughs> but that's why it's just, and then when I see that particular copy, I mean, it's absolutely battered, mm-hmm. but it, then it takes me back to being in fifth year at school yeah. everything that I remember about, totally. about being that age you can
1: almost smell it in the pages can't you that that school absolutely, smell absolutely yeah,
0: yeah. yeah now this uh, next question and it's really this is the one that's always an, interested me whenever I ask people mm. it's a book that you couldn't be paid to read again <laughs> now some people have attacked this question with absolute relish other people have taken a while and I know you you, you said you were quite reluctant And I, I don't know as a, as a writer as well because you you don't want to because everybody Who's written a book they've invested something of themselves in. So you don't want to be it's a subjective thing. If you don't like it, somebody else might. So.
1: I think so. I think definitely it's it's like you know the effort that's gone into it and you know that sense of anticipation as your book goes out into the world too and, and you know, and you know what it feels like to get horrible reviews as well. Um and it it does. It works. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I did think, oh god, I don't I don't know if I can answer this. But then I, I did remember a book that I Really, really didn't like, and I'm, I'm okay saying that. Um, it was one I, I had to review for um, a radio programme, and it was one of J.K. Rowling's adult books, so writing under the name of Robert Galbraith. Mm. And it was the first one, I can't even remember the title of it, but it was called Cormanent Strike. So that might, I think, The Cuckoo Calling, I think that was the name of it. None of it felt real. I did, I felt it was, I mean, I, you know, I loved the Harry Potter books and my kids loved them too, but there wasn't any. Depth or richness to this book at all. It was very formulaic, very much you know a crash bang adventure story. I think the guy's got one leg because he's an ex-army hero or something. But even that, there wasn't any sense of you know pathos or backstory or a real sense of somebody struggling to come to terms with this loss of what their future might have been. It was just, it felt like it was just a device to make him behave in certain ways, but it didn't feel credible at all. And the dialogue was clunky, just. Everything about it was, it was even like, his
0: name seems, yeah.
1: And i you know, maybe it is a pastiche, I don't know. But the fact it came out under a pseudonym, I suspect not. I suspect it was meant to be a spy thriller that was taken. That it's because I was always a
0: bit skeptical at the time. Is mean, I mean, I'm a kind of like you, like J.K. Rowling. I just saw the way that my one of my daughters just that was her, her road into books and just absolutely fell in love with reading through that. So I've always got a lot of time for the Harry Potter books, yeah. but at the time they were kind of. T- they were, they were trying to say that it had been submitted under that name nobody knew who it was her and, and it just miraculously happened to be published and you're thinking no that's not true no there's no way I think the
1: world of publishing is small enough that if, exactly. if you get a anonymous signing like that you know, and I'd it both... just
0: coincidentally was it was leaked who it was before it gets published yeah. so obviously I've yeah. So it yeah.
1: and again you know all credit to her for trying something different because that's always what I try and do with my writing and I'm sure lots of people liked it I just didn't like it at all, and it just didn't didn't move me in any way. It just felt like a it could have been a boy's own comic almost in terms of yeah. the, the, the depth of the story. and And our children's books aren't like that.
0: Because it was interesting, you said earlier on. If you start a book, you, you tend to finish it. You persevere with it. And I I, felt, I found this question difficult myself because generally, if I if I'm struggling with a book and I'm not enjoying it, I don't finish it. Cause I, I'm of the kind of life's too short. Yeah. Another good book. Yeah. But book readers tend to go into the two camps. I'm in on one side, and you're on the other side, and it's it's interesting that so obviously books, even books that you don't like, will probably have a bigger impact on you because you'll think that's an endurance test. I've passed it, you know.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Um I suppose it's always a, like you're an optimist too. You think, oh, maybe pick up, you know? Because I I know some books I do love are the ones that are kind of slow burners, and then it starts to just pick up pace, and I think that's the way I write too. So I, I always want to give a book the benefit of the doubt but yeah it's there, there are many times that you get to end of a book and you think you feel a bit deflated don't you and, and well they're, the, they're not the ones you keep on yourself I guess
0: yeah I suppose so yeah and you mentioned as well about you know the, that horrible feeling of, of a bad review do you I take it do you read the reviews because again that's it's such a subjective thing and I wonder because you've invested again so much emotion into the book and yeah. You read a a review and somebody just either doesn't get it or they they just completely pan all this what you put in. I do, I do read them. I don't know, I don't know why, but
1: you know, I suppose it's, it's torture. But when you get a good review, it's brilliant. So I guess, again, it's like the endurance of reading a book to the end, so you should read the bad reviews too, I suppose, to balance things out. But I think I've become a bit more... Well... I think when I write, I try and not write for an audience because your first novel, you're not doing that. You're just thinking, I'm telling a story here and you probably don't think it's going to be published. So you don't ever think you're, you're going to be held accountable for what you've written. And there's a freedom in that. You just tell the story you want to tell, the book you haven't seen on the shelf. That's, that's what's compelling you to write. Um, and with my early books, it, it was definitely, I was wanting to try and give an account of being a police officer that felt real and you know involved humour and darkness and... Yeah. and
0: it's interesting when, again when we were corresponding before this, and I'd, I'd put together the introduction and I described the novels as police procedurals, mm. but you were very you wanted them in the world of police because, it, as you say, it's, it goes beyond the job. It's the characters, it's the people, it's how that, all uh, that absolutely. affects. Absolutely,
1: it's the idea of, of standing in uniform in Socky Hall Street, age twenty, in the night shift, thinking, "They've put me in charge. They've put me in charge." <laughs> it's the voice spilling shortly. You know, I, I'm the same person that was. Up the dancing last week and now I'm in a uniform and suddenly I'm a different person. You know, mm-hmm. even though you've had training, or whatever it's inside you're vulnerable, outside you're the symbol of authority. And I thought that was an interesting thing to write about yeah. in terms of the sort of dichotomy of being be a challenge as a carrot, you know. Totally. But, but but being vulnerable and exposed, but also the target of everything, good and bad, you know. There's a polis, they'll know the way to such and such. Mm-hmm. Call a polis, I've just been mugged, all of that and it's just you and your wee head going, oh no, oh no. But, you know, some of the early reviews I got were things like, people should be warned, there's pages in this book where nothing happens. People just talk. <laughs> um, and <laughs> it's full of Scottish words too, and swearing. And, and so, you know, that was quite tough to, to take. But I thought, well, that is me trying to give an accurate representation of what that world was like for me. And nobody can say that's not true, because well, so, it's, such it's what I lived. And, yeah, but if people were thinking they were getting a particular type of book, of course, and then yeah, they yeah, weren't, yeah. they were getting somebody who was kind of in their, their heats for four pages and nothing much happening. They're talking about back shift being the longest shift of, of the, you know, there was three shifts we did then, I know it's different now, um, and how you never get in done. It was a kind of philosophical musing on, on on life, not achieving what you want. But yeah, if you were expecting to get three murders and a car chase, then that's that's not what that book was giving you. Um, so what I, I try and do now is that I, I don't write thinking how it'll be received, but at the same time I, I suck it up and I do read the reviews afterwards. But I try and not let that affect me with the next thing I write
0: because I, yeah. I I think that's I mean that's admirable because as you say, you know, you mentioned earlier on, by the time the book comes out you're maybe writing, you're on to the next thing and mm. I suppose the potential danger is that if the book that comes out gets, you know, negative reviews, then that maybe has an impact in, on what you're writing, just in terms of the confidence or thinking what am I doing or, or as I say are you able to just take the good with the bad and things. yeah
1: I think so and just you've got to trust your own voice too and you've got to write the thing you want to write if, if it's changed and tampered and and made something more anodyne's not the right word but you know it, it's not what you set out to write then what was the point in you doing it yeah. so maybe your sales aren't so great but are you proud of what you've written and does it allow you the freedom to go on and write something else and you're not being straight jacketed into a particular genre or shelf or whatever, then for me I think that's worth it because it's it's the, the joy of the writing and bringing things to life in a way you want to do that, that's important.
0: We're on to the fifth and final question and that's either the last book you read or the, the book that you're currently reading
1: well, I've just finished it and it's Surfacing by Kathleen Jamie and Kathleen's a poet um, but she's becoming a really fine nature writer as well. The poem probably most people know Well, certainly one that's always stuck in my mind is the Queen of Sheba that Kathleen Jamie wrote. It's just amazing because it's it's about small town Scottish parochialism spliced with the arrival of the Queen of Sheba and and all the resplendent pomp and grandeur. And it's definitely one to to read, you know, look it up and read it. She's, She's brilliant wordsmith, but she's been also, as I say, doing sort of forays into nature writing, but but much more about philosophy and, and, and life as well. And surfacing is a collection of essays. And some of them are about her being in the, the the frozen wastes of, I'll get this wrong if it's Arctic or Antarctic, I'm not sure where the Inuits are. And others are her on an archaeological dig. And some are little vignettes about her her daughter going off to uni. And, and it's just the way she writes and sort of splices them all together. And you just feel, you again, you're taking on this journey of what's important in life about what we leave of the past about our future and what we invest in our children and our families about love about loss she wrote another similar collection called findings a few years ago and you know there's a whole essay in that on on a seagull's skull that she found on the beach and it's where she can go with those small little tiny tiny bits of life or death and and take them into something that just yeah makes you think about What's important to you? Um, so it was—it was a lovely read, and it—you it, know—it's what a book you can dip into and dip out of. But I read it almost as a novel, yeah. um, and I think that again, you—you you get more themes that run through every one of the essays when you do that.
0: Because that's a skill in its, itself as a writer to, as you say, to sometimes take the smallest detail and keep the reader enthralled as you kind of take them on some yeah, sort of bigger journey.
1: Totally, and, and in a way that doesn't feel indulgent. You mm. know, sometimes I think writers we can sort of be too in love with our ourself and you know i think this and you you need to know exactly how what i think and but kathleen jamie does it like all good poets i guess in a way that you you take the small and the personal and the literal and and you make it universal there's some sense of continuity and 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 resonance and and speaking to something beyond your own experience i don't mean supernatural i just mean in terms of the bigger issues in life but it can be done through a, a very sort of microscopic focus and she's brilliant at that.
0: I mean in terms of, of what you read do you, you get quite an eclectic taste and obviously those are, those are essays do you, do you dip in, in fiction non-fiction just whatever catches your attention?
1: Yeah I would say mostly fiction and I don't know if I would read a collection like that if it hadn't been Kathleen Jamie that wrote it um, although I have read things like oh, was it Robert McFarlane that wrote like Underworld and can't remember sort of lost paths and things like that. You know, there's other nature writing that I quite like again because they're they're a springboard to talk about bigger things. Um, I'm not a huge poetry reader. Um, there's only certain poems that that really move me. I wouldn't sit down with a collection of poetry. So it tends to be more fiction I would say than yeah. anything. Because it was interesting,
0: I, I watched a documentary about Seamus Heaney recently. Mm. You know, I've read his poems, but I actually, see when you hear them, being it's just I think with poetry, if, if you hear somebody reading it, it's, it takes on a whole different yeah. meaning, and it just it brings them alive. Actually, it was quite it was quite interesting, and then to go back, and to read them on the page, but mm-hmm. then you hear whoever the voice of yeah. what was usually his voice reading it. Absolutely, and that sort
1: of musicality again, yeah, it yeah. just gives it another sense of another layer. You know, and, and sometimes we don't know how our emotions are tapped into. It can be a bit of music or a smell. You know, talking about the smell of books that. Reading is a more sensory thing than just your eyes, I think. There's, there's an awful lot going on in your subconscious w- when you read and when you write too.
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of, we're almost at the end of the podcast, but obviously you'd mentioned by the time The Sound of the earth comes out, you're already working on your next novel. I take it that's ongoing as we speak. Well,
1: I've, I've finished the first draft of it, so it's with my agent at the moment, hopefully. We'll find a home for it soon. Um, yeah, and I wrote that. I mean, The Sound of the earth took four years to write. Because it was historical and mm. had to do so much research and kind of sifting down of of what I didn't need as much as what I did need, but this new book I wrote in about three months and it was almost like a a reaction to to that four year toil. It was it was a sudden sort of wee burst of inspiration and I just ran with it and I just wrote it every single day and I've never written mm.
0: about that quickly before. It was quite accelerating to it get was, to it the was.
1: End. it was, it was like like I was sprinting almost. It yeah. just you know the the wind in your hair type thing. It, um, so I know and I'm. I, I'm pleased with it, with the benefit of leaving it a while and going back, it still, I feel, hangs together, so, and that is a book about uh, a homeless person who, something happens at the start of the novel that makes them feel they want to return back to where they came from so it's a kind of journey novel, but as they're returning to the place they came from in sort of e fragmentary flashbacks you learn why they left in the first place and what led to them becoming homeless and, and you kind of know why they're avoiding they're still taking this circuitous route that there's something there that they don't want to deal with, but they still feel drawn to to go back. So you know, after juggling, literally, when I was writing the sound of theirs, I had a map behind my desk with with like flags of who, what soldiers were where when. You know, it was Dad's like ah, I was like orchestrating <laughs> the battles myself. So this felt much more liberating. This new book, in terms of going with the story yeah. and literally as a, a journey novel. So yeah.
0: And I guess if you you know if you have that, Boston in three months you've you've finished the novel, then that would tend to suggest to you as well that you're on the right lines because you've that you've been able to tell the story and you are yes. not get bogged down at all. Exactly,
1: it's coming like a gift almost, you yeah, know, yeah. when the best writing is it's like, I don't know where this is coming from, but thank you very much, don't let it stop. And it, you know, it does stop eventually, but you know, and sometimes those moments are very brief of the actual flow of inspiration, but with this book, it seemed to just keep flowing um, and the voice was just really strong from the start. So yeah, I'm pleased, I think, with it.
0: We will look forward to that one whenever it does come out. Thank you. But um, thanks very much for joining us on the Read All About It Podcast can.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Read All About It Podcast and I'd love to hear what you've thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at Read All About Twenty, on Instagram at Read All About It Podcast, or you can send an email to read at Paulkadahey dot If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddihy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.